Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. The first person I called after I picked up that note from my you know, wife who I divorced, first person I called was my sister. And I mean, I remember just weeping, bawling my eyes out, telling my sister for the, the first time I told anybody that my marriage was on the rocks and it looks like it's ending. And while it was the most difficult phone call I ever made, it was the most important phone call I've ever made. Because in that moment, I went from keeping all of this to myself to saying, I do need help. And I'm willing to let other people help me. Do you feel like you're stuck in a rut in life or in a dead-end job with no progression? I'm Jerry Dugan, and welcome to Beyond the Rut, the podcast that offers you the motivation, inspiration, and practical tools to help you build a life worth living. My show is here to help you break free from your limitations and find a path to success. Join me as I share encouraging stories and actionable advice on how to get out of your rut in life and create a vision for your future. Life is just too short to live stuck in a rut. Here we go. Hey, Rudder Nation. This is your host, Jerry Dugan. And in this episode, we're going to be joined by engineer and founder of OasisOfCourage.com, Zach White. Now, Zach is going to share with us how he goes about creating a life worth living in his faith, family, and career, as well as how he helps engineering leaders do the same thing. Now, that is not where his life started. Earlier in his life, as he was pursuing his career, building that career success, his first marriage ended in divorce. It left him devastated because he was looking at all the things he was told success was all about, but he had missed a key part of his life. He didn't feel whole. So we talk a little bit about how did he recover from that? How did he heal as a person? How did he regroup? And now he builds a great career while finding that balance in life and helps other engineers and professionals do the same thing. So sit back, relax, grab a notebook and a pen. Here we go. All right. Hey, Zach, thanks for calling in. How are you doing today? Jerry, I am amazing. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. I think um, officially, I was looking at your bio uh, a couple weeks back and it it didn't hit me until then that I was like, wait, He's done ballroom dancing <laughs> and, and acro yoga. So uh, I'm like, I think officially you're the first person on the show yes. to put those two things on the bio. Uh, and it wasn't even, it was a dude who said it, guys. So there you go. Uh, there um, it but, is. Uh, is there like a specific ballroom dance that you love? Um, oh, I love so many of them. But if I had to pick just one, it's the samba. Oh, the samba. I love the samba, the music, the the tempos, the rhythm of the samba. It's one of the Latin dances and it's very athletic, uh, but it, and it's it's so fun, really beautiful, challenging. Yeah. yeah. Samba would be my number one, Jerry. That's the dance that makes babies, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> That's how babies are made, guys. <laughs> well, which podcast are we on again? I know, right? I thought it was Beyond the Rut. I, I guess I rebranded okay. on myself here. Didn't even know it. Oh, oh, that's man. too funny. And then acro yoga, like, is that with like the 
tell us about that. I got to know what acro yoga is. Yeah, so acro yoga, generally speaking, two people, one who's the base on the ground and one in the air, the flyer, who's on the feet or hands or combination of uh, that base. And so my wife and I do acro. We did it even while we were dating as something just to go uh, have fun together and explore. It's, It's great fitness, but really... What dancing and acro have in common, Jerry, is if you have any conflict in your marriage, it will immediately come to the surface doing <laughs> these two activities because it's you know, it's challenging, it's stressful, it's learning together, and it's very likely that you're going to fall, crash, step on each other's toes, and you know it can be physically painful, but also, especially as a man, emotionally painful to have those <laughs> moments, and uh, it, you know it's a great opportunity for some free marriage therapy if you want to go right? do acro yoga. You, you found but an activity that requires both physical balance and emotional relational balance. <laughs> that's right. It will challenge your communication skills. That's for sure. There we go. There you go, man. Uh, little bonus content there about uh, helping <laughs> free, your marriage grow. Free advice. <laughs> <laughs> Worth what you paid, Jerry. <laughs> Worth what you paid. Exactly. Uh, now, what drew my attention to you, we met on Podmatch, which, I mean, folks now have heard me say over and over again, it's like a podcast directory and a dating site got together, had a baby, and this is Podmatch. And I saw your profile that uh, by trade, you know, your education, your career is that of an engineer. And it's mm-hmm. I know a lot of folks who've become engineers. A lot of my college buddies were engineering students. Um, some were on the four year program. Some were on the seven year program, all for the same degree. Yeah, uh, great programs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got that wonderful thing. Uh, ordinary differential equations. Oh have, man, yeah. Diff EQ was that's a bad like you're giving me chills thinking back to that. Jerry. Little did Zach know I was going to trigger his PTSD today. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what they are. I just know that my roommate, who was a, a mechanical engineering student, that course he took I think twice, maybe a third time. Um, <sighs> it was like, I got in and out in one swing on Diff EQ, but the, yeah, there's some tough, tough, tough courses yeah. to be an engineer. That's for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, you guys are building things, and people are going to be in those things. And we don't want people to die in those things. We're not, you know, yeah. So it's important, you know, all those equations, knowing how things are going to work, stresses, all that stuff. So, you know, no pressure on y'all's career, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. of course, you know, the engineer, we forget sometimes that that is what's happening and it was worth doing all those hard, hard courses to get here but safety is a kind of important thing jerry so huge, I, I think huge. everybody appreciates <laughs> that engineers have to work really hard to do what they do they do yeah it, it goes like uh, you guys are like the unsung heroes you know it's everything well, thank from you escalators to my nemesis known as stairs uh <laughs> it's all well, those things my clients and i appreciate that jerry awesome. i think engineers sometimes go through life feeling underappreciated so thank you yeah oh yeah and uh what what drove you to say i'm going to be an engineer though like i know for a lot of folks it's like oh there's money involved and i'm kind of good at math uh was that the same for you or was there something else that drove that you know my dad was a uh, engineer. He was an electrical engineer in his career. And so I grew up around it. And math and science came easily to me through school. And, you know, guidance counselor in high school says, hey, you know, what do you think about engineering? And it was an easy decision. I always wanted to be one. It really never crossed my mind to do anything else. But I did go through that season of rebellion that every 16, 17-year-old goes through. So instead of following in my dad's footsteps to electrical engineering, 
I did mechanical engineering because I, I wasn't going to be, you know, the good kid. I wanted, so that, that was my, my rebellion was to go into mechanical engineering. But no, it was just always something I was passionate about. And there's so many things you can do uh, as an engineer. And I remember a conversation with my uncle, who's a very successful entrepreneur, business owner. And we were talking about engineering versus business because I had this idea that, oh, I really like his lifestyle. He's you know doing very well. He's wealthy and all these things. Well, he said to me then, Zach, you, you can always go into business if you have an engineering degree. But if you go into business and you decide later you want to be an engineer, good luck. Like that's never yeah. going to happen. So he's <laughs> like, if you can't decide, pick engineering first. And really glad I did. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Because then you have like this expertise you could draw from and get entrepreneurial with it. Whereas, um, you know, it's kind of like uh, my career as an educator, you know, I, I got good at public speaking and doing facilitation of training. And, and it was a good decade and a half before I realized, oh, what is my shtick? <laughs> like, sure. Whereas yeah. the people who find that success in that space, they have a shtick first, then they get good at the public speaking and training facilitation. And then they make the big bucks. I'm like, I did this totally backwards. Um, but I've, I've been known to do that. It's like, what's the hard way? I'm going to do that. <laughs> so, oh, man. Um, now, gosh, you also reminded me of a friend of mine. He's a, a lawyer by trade, but he's from a family of physicians. So uh, he always jokes about like he had to be rebellious and do the one thing that all his family hated, which is the lawyer that comes in and says, you can't talk about that. That's a HIPAA violation. That No, no. <laughs> That's how lawsuits are made. Stop that. So, yeah. uh, gosh. Anyway. He um, gets to sit at the far end of the table at Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. You know? He says he gets, he gets uh, like, there's the family table, the kid table, and then there's his table. The lawyer table <laughs> <Yeah>. over there. <laughs> you got to sign the contract and sit over there. That's awesome. Oh, man. He says he always dreads, though, when, like, somebody in the family asks for legal advice. He's like, no, 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 no. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. <laughs> yeah, not, not today. I don't represent you. We're, we're family. Oh, uh, man. But uh, so you, you wind up going to school to be a mechanical engineer. Uh, you, you found your first, like, what was your first job out of engineering school? I came right out of Purdue with my degree and joined Whirlpool Corporation. And the thing that put me over the edge was their off offer to join what was called the World Program. It was W-E-R-L-D, Whirlpool Engineering Rotational Leadership Development. Oh, wow. And th this was their you know top talent intake program for rotations of different jobs for six months apiece and then sending you to get your master's degree in engineering paid for by the company. It was a great offer. And so it was like, can't say no. And I had actually thought about 
taking a role with Lockheed Martin out in California and kind of doing the you know the the, the sexy thing of working on airplanes. So that sounded really cool. But uh, the Whirlpool offer was was extraordinary. Moved here to Southwest Michigan and actually still am here since 2008 when I graduated. This has been relatively uh, home base and glad I did. It was a great. Great role, great opportunity, and Whirlpool is a fantastic organization. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard good things about Whirlpool. I think we own one actually. I, I'll have to check after this interview. <laughs> we own something. Uh, now, at some point, though, like you're, you're the host now of the Happy Engineer, and of course, every time I hear that title, I think of Bob Ross painting your your yes. episode art. He's like <laughs> Happy Engineers. <laughs> so, um, oh, that's the best ever, right? <laughs> You just got to get somebody who does a Bob Ross impersonation and do like a whole like April Fool's Day interview with Bob Ross talking about happy engineers. I think and that's brilliant. I will listen to that every day for a long time. Um, but at some point, though, like before you became the happy engineer, before you started helping people be, like be life engineer or help people as a life engineer coach, you yourself kind of hit this rut, this snag in both career and life. Um, tell us about what was going on that that hit that where when you hit that rut Mm -hmm. well i got married right out of college to my college sweetheart and got that great job i just told you about and like many young achievement-minded aspirational college grads i went hard into my career asking the question what's it going to take to be successful to live into this dream that had been put in my mind since a young age. And, you know, I had been, uh, you know, top of my class, valedictorian, great grades, everything was for me. And all the people who loved me were speaking into my life, these really encouraging words, you know, Zach, you're so talented, you're so smart, you're going to be so successful, you're going to one day be the CEO, you you can be whatever you want to be. And so I had this ingrained level of confidence, but also goal to go show everybody that that was true. And so Jerry started working, working hard, asking questions, you know, how do I do this? How do I get the next promotion? What do I need to focus on to be that successful engineer? And while that all was good on the surface, the truth is that I didn't have the maturity or the understanding of myself to create the right balance in my approach. And What I tell everyone is I only knew one way. And the way to success for me was to get smarter and work harder. That was my only strategy. Get smarter, work harder. So you read more books, listen to more podcasts, put in more hours, just keep grinding. And it's not that I was putting in 100-hour weeks, but every time I would face those trade-offs of doing a little bit more for my career or taking that time to invest in my marriage or my health or my family, it was always swinging to that career side. And what happens, Jerry, is you start to see, well, I actually am getting success at work. Well, of course, because I'm working really, really hard. And marriage is actually not going so well. And what I didn't recognize at the time was my tendency to just simply go after what was working, just you know what, work a little bit more. That's the comfort zone. That's where I can actually get success. That's where I was getting the recognition, all of those good feelings, all of my friends. Like that's where I had uh, this idea of being seen as somebody, right? And in my marriage, it wasn't going great. I didn't like it. I didn't know how to deal with that. I had no support there. And it's like, eh, let's just avoid, avoid that. There's pain there. And sounds very 
primal, very simple, but in a way, our psychology, you pursue pleasure, you avoid pain. And I just kept slowly tipping that scale until a point where I entered a downward spiral that led to a real rock bottom experience. Yeah. It's weird that, I mean, it's, it's common too. We all go for that path of least resistance. I mean, everything in nature does so. We do it uh, both you know, in the natural world, but also in our social environment. And, and you were doing that, you know, which is no different than any other person that I've come across who's eventually hit like family issues is I, I focused on providing for my family because I was doing well at that. I could, I could always bring home the bacon. I could always get that promotion. I could always get that status yes. that my family could brag about. Uh, and, you know, sadly I, I run into, you know, men who they wind up doing that. And the end result is they lose the very thing that they were trying to protect or preserve. It's kind of like exactly Katniss from the Hunger Games, right? Like all series, she's trying to protect Prim, her sister. And in the end, sorry, guys, spoiler alert, uh, Prim gets killed. And you're like, all that. And she lost the very thing she was trying to protect. And, um, and so that eventually hit for you as well, if I understand correctly. And Absolutely. Um, and, and what was that like? Yeah, the, so the rock bottom, you know, grinding my face against rock bottom of my yeah. life, Jerry, was when I ended up divorced, depressed, disappointed, embarrassed, and all of that career success that I was aiming for, none of that mattered anymore at all in that moment. And I remember vividly a moment of being in the conference room in my attorney's office suite and you know, this big wood table, beautiful mahogany shelves and fancy law books all around and expensive artwork and you know, sitting catty corner at the end of this table from my attorney. And for her, it's just another day at the office. No big deal. For me, this is the last place that I ever wanted to be. And it, it was awful. Just this unbelievable pit in my stomach. You could barely even talk, just hated every moment of even being in that room and signing those papers and going through that process and just asking myself, how did my life end up here? Because six months ago, the story that I was telling myself was that everything was going great. The lie that I was believing is that I was living this American dream, that I was progressing to this vision of success in my whole life. That's what I was telling myself. And just six months later, I'm getting divorced and and everything hurts. Nothing is worth living for. It's like, well, how did this happen? And you know, now I can look back and see that slow fade. But at the time, because I'd gotten so good at telling myself that lie, it felt very shocking. It really disrupted my, you know, my system. But that was that was that rock bottom time. And coming through that, some major transformational changes came in my life in the process of healing from the divorce and and the trauma of all this. And Jerry, I'll just say one other piece. Like part of what made it so painful. Not that divorce in any situation isn't painful, and and not to compare to other forms of trauma or challenges people may go through. But for me, this was true rock bottom. Part of what made it even worse was that when I was 13, my parents split. And the way that that happened was you know, my dad left a note for my mom that, you know, I'm out. I'm, this is over. Done. He just disappeared. Well, I came home from a work trip to what was supposed to be, you know, my wife at home. And it's an empty house. And there's a note on the table that says, I'm done. I want out. 
and it's like the weight of childhood pain plus ultimate failure for me as as an adult and a husband all came crashing down at the same time. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I've, I've seen some friends go through something like that. I remember uh, going on a kayaking trip with a buddy of mine, and uh, it was just a day trip. You know, it was supposed to be a weekend camping trip, but it eventually wound up just the four of us getting together for a kayaking trip. And uh, we come back. And we're driving up to the guy's house, and there are all these pickup trucks outside his house, and things are getting loaded up into the uh, the the, the, the trucks. And we're like, "Hey, what's going on at your house?" And he goes, "I think I'm getting robbed." And the way he said it though was like a joke because the guy's a joker. So uh, we we all laughed, and we pull into the neighbor's yard across the street because two of the people in the group were neighbors across the street from each other. And so we're unloading the car, getting the kayaks back in the guy's garage, uh, the, the neighbor that is. And our friend comes back from his house. He goes, hey, I just called the police. These guys are taking my stuff. My wife left me. And we're like, what? <laughs> and um, like, what? And we're like at your home every Friday morning having breakfast. What? Oh, um, it was just it, it blindsided him like to him in that moment, like completely clueless that there was a strain happening between him and his wife. Very similarly, you know, telling himself things are fine. He's providing. He's doing this. He's doing that. Uh, and the whole time, ignoring this growing rift, this this true like issue that needed to be resolved. That he was, you know, he looks back on it now, a few years later, and he's like, I totally ignored that. You know, I'd always blow it off. I'd discount it. I would say it's not a big deal. You just need to teach your your own kids how to, you know get over it in a, in a sense. And she's like, No, that's my baby. <laughs> and and eventually left. Uh, you know, for for uh, her kids, in a sense, and uh, and he wasn't abusive or anything. He just wasn't meeting a need of hers in in, in that respect. But I mean, it's just it, it's a big blindside, though. You know, and you, you think things are. And my dad, you know, my my parents divorced when I was eleven, and my dad th- thought things were great. And eventually, my mom leaves for somebody else, and uh, and my dad just like, what? Where did this come from? I, you know, who did this? Why is this happening? And not aware that you know, even though he was the nicest guy in the world. He wasn't the most affectionate person. Like there was room for my mom to doubt that my dad loved her. And so um, I think where I'm trying to land that is like that. That seems to be a common lie that we tell ourselves as men is that things are fine. Uh, What can we do to kind of rip that bandaid off and really take a look inside to see where are the threats, whether it's in our marriage or with our kids or uh, even our own career trajectories like or financially like for our health. How do how do we rip that bandaid off? And then you know, and, and I think this ties in with the T-shirt you wear on your website: uh, "Crush Comfort and Create Courage." Uh, so I guess the question is, how do we do that? How do we crush the comfort that we're experiencing, create the courage to to take that inward look, so that we can create that success we really want to have? Yeah, let's talk about a couple of really key things. If somebody maybe this story you know, scares them and they're like, how do I make sure that I don't fall into that trap or you're going through it right now and you're very conscious of it? A couple things that you need to know. And the first is that it's easy to let your rational mind create a lie or a story that's not true at all to explain away a negative emotion. And so let's talk about the relationship between the two for a second. Why do we have emotions? What What is this? This feeling in our body and emotion is energy in motion, emotion, right? It's, it's in our physical body. It's not just in our mind. It's something that's a part of us. It's a chemistry. It's neurotransmitters. It's all these things happening in our body. What, what is that for? Why is it there? And 
it's helpful to me as an engineer to think about this as as the cockpit. It's the it's all of the indicator lights of your life and emotions are these indications of what's going on when something's going well or when something is broken, right? When you experience a negative emotion, it's that warning light on the dashboard of your life. It's saying, "Hey, something is not aligned. You know, you're not living in congruence with your values or this is hurting you in some way, physically or emotionally. This is painful. Hey, th- this is something that isn't going towards your vision. This is not your goal. This is something against your goal, so it's uncomfortable or fill in the blank, right? It's these emotions are telling you something. And what we will do with our conscious mind then is experience the emotion and then try to explain in a rational way what's going on and and why. And it's very simple for men especially, but we can all do it to explain away a negative emotion as long as it 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 fades, right? It was temporary. I was angry for a while, I'm not angry anymore. I had an argument with my spouse, but now it's over. And as long as that peak of the negative energy fades, then we can go back and say, oh, that just happened because, and I fill in my lie, and as long as the light's not on and blinking right now in my present reality, then we're okay. I, I've explained it. It's rationalized. I don't need to take any action. You know, And so your, your body and, and your life will then continue to blink, say, hey, yeah, like you still haven't dealt with the underlying issue. But we get good at numbing it. It's almost like you put a piece of duct tape over that light. That could be alcohol. That could be pornography. That could be work to going into your career, whatever it is, where we just mute the signal of the emotion so that we can keep telling ourselves that same story and just carry on in our life the most comfortable way possible. And by the way, Jerry, comfortable doesn't always mean sipping Mai Tais on the beach in Hawaii. Comfortable for a lot of people is actually a very... Un, you know, painful experience of life. They're not happy at all, but that is what they know and they're surviving. And so that becomes the comfort zone. Okay. So why is this important? Well, this idea of courage to me, the oasis of courage is a, the name of my business. And it's the work that we do in coaching for engineers, because to face that reality, to to look at those gauges and really be honest about what's going on, to dive into the negative emotion and say, what's the root cause here? And where am I not showing up as the man who I want to be in my marriage or for my kids or at work living my values? Where am I not pursuing my vision and my goals with my whole heart? And in fact, I'm really leaving this gift that God gave me of life on the table unused and untapped that doesn't feel good. Like that takes courage to face that, to be honest about that, and even more so than to take action on that. And it's no small feat. I don't want to in any way say, oh, this is easy. Just a couple ABC and your life will try. No, it's, it's, this is a real, it's a real challenge. And people who come through transformational experiences like this you know, I just commend every single one of them because that journey really is uh, a courageous one. Yeah, yeah. It, it it takes face in a lot of things that are hard to to face in a sense. It's uh, that that accountability on yourself. Like I'm the guy yes. who brings this into the relationship and is causing this rift. I'm the guy that's blowing this off. Um, you know, you mentioned like our ability as men to rationalize an event. You know, uh, you know, I, I get mad about something. And we we miss the part where our interactions with other people are almost like 
emotional bank transactions that I'm either depositing into somebody's bank account totally. or emotion account or I'm taking a withdrawal. And each of these like negative interactions, whether it's an argument or just somebody overhearing you get mad, uh, takes a withdrawal out of those emotional bank accounts. Uh, it's something I have. I still work on it. Um, you know, my fight against all things inanimate, um, <laughs> especially if it requires handyman skills, uh, creates the the uh, the impersonation of the old man from a Christmas story. You know, the the obscenities come out, and um, you know, my my hiking group will be shocked. Like, what you really do, cuss? Yeah, I mean, you tell me to assemble something, just eavesdrop, <laughs> just eavesdrop for an hour. You will hear some colorful language uh, that I haven't used since I was in the mm. army. Um, I'm not directing that at anybody in my family or anybody I love, but my family hears it and it starts withdrawing from their emotional bank accounts mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. what I'm inadvertently doing is communicating to them what I don't intend, which is I could do this to them at any time. And I'm like, no, mm. I would never do that to you guys. Um, and so it's something I've had to be mindful of. Um, and, and so that's, yeah, I think the point I'm making though is, and you've touched on it a little bit, is that you know we, our interactions do make deposits or withdrawals with people, and yeah. if we're not aware of that, and we don't do anything to fix it or replenish those accounts, then yeah, eventually that that relationship has grown apart, whether or not we want to recognize that. You know, it's like the the person with the negative bank balance who wants to just, if I throw away the bank statement, the problem goes away. It's like. No, you're still negative in the hole. You still owe the credit card company money. Um, you just threw away the statement that showed you the information. Uh, yeah. And that, that does take energy. You know, and Jerry, the other piece to add to that, I 1,000% agree we need to pay attention to how we invest in the relationships with people we love and everyone for that matter. But sometimes we only look at that piece and you forget too that there's also a, a bank account with yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and when we show up in our lives in ways that are not congruent with what we value and believe. And we allow ourselves to continue to treat ourselves as less than or speak to ourselves with words that we would never say to someone else. I mean, I can't tell you how many of my clients experience this and I've done it to myself where our self-talk is so bad. Like you would never say that to somebody you love, but you say it to yourself. And so you you're not going to experience the quality of life that you're capable of and you actually desire if you don't treat yourself with the highest esteem and love and care. Because if you won't do it for you, th then you're not actually authentically ever able to bring all of yourself into those other relationships. Yeah. So don't forget, you know, it also requires a level of self-love and self-care and self-esteem if you want to then love others, care for others and esteem others. Yeah. I think that's a big part of, uh, you know, I talk about the five F's on this show a lot, that, that fitness F, you know, that, that self-care, that self-love is a huge part of that. You know, you're taking care of your body, but you also need to take care of your mind and yes. your emotional well-being. That's huge. Um, and so I know one of the things you also talk about is like the enemy of excellence is isolation. And then at the same time, you get this website called the Oasis of Courage. And, you know, Oasis tends to be out in the middle of the desert by itself, away, you know, surrounded by desolation. Um, and so tell us about Oasis of Courage a bit more and how you help people into their lives into the success they really want to have. Yeah. So these two ideas are, are separate, but let me, I'll link them. I'll share yeah. how they're connected. So isolation is the enemy of excellence. Absolutely believe that. And I experienced that. And I'll tell you, if you're going back to my story, the most important change that I made in my life from 
before my rock bottom experience in divorce and after was that I stopped keeping secrets and I stopped trying to be the lone wolf and the hero of my own journey all the time. And I invited people in, reconnecting with my faith, my family, my friends. And I have an important way of being now that I call being fully known. Jerry, it's something that's non-negotiable for me, that there needs to be a core group of people in my life, not just my spouse. I'm remarried now, happily married, but also a best friend, a counselor, a therapist, someone who's always there, who knows everything. The person I can tell the whole story to, no more secrets. Uh, being fully known is a powerful thing, the, the vulnerability, the transparency. So isolation, don't do it. If you're catching yourself isolating in your life, you're not telling somebody that thing you're struggling with. Or let's bring it back to the career or business context. You don't know how to solve that next big problem to get that next promotion to grow your business. Don't try to solve that by yourself. Somebody else already has done that. Go get help. Go ask for help. So getting into community is an essential skill for great living. Now, Oasis of Courage, that's actually born out of my life mission statement, my life purpose, which was something I crafted with my coach just a couple of years after my divorce. It was during that time of healing and transformation in my own journey that I really invested in myself in coaching and therapy and healing. And on a coaching journey, I crafted this life purpose statement. And it's that I am an oasis along life's journey that gives you courage to walk on. And Oasis of Courage was very personal to me. I never intended to name a business this. I mean, I wrote it years and years before I actually started my company. And you're right, the Oasis picture we all think of is in the middle of the desert. And I don't intend to tell people your life is a desert and Zach is the only nice place. That's not the picture. It's simply to recognize that we're all on a journey that is challenging, full of trial, full of things that are you know, hard. They, we have to struggle at times. And it's worth struggling well for. But we all need on occasion to be able to step out of the arena of the struggle and just step into the oasis, a place where you can relax, get recharged, be renewed and, and recreate yourself. This idea of recreation, all of those ideas exist for me in this picture, this metaphor of the oasis. And so what we're creating in our coaching community and the work that I do as a coach now is simply about creating that space for you. You know, when you step into a coaching conversation, you're not actually in your life, right? We're separating, coming out of our routines and we're coming into a, a coaching dialogue. Well, that space that we create is the oasis. You then have to leave the oasis and go back into your life, right? You Whatever that representation is for you, that picture that works for you. And so that's that's where that picture came from is to say, look, this is where you come to get the energy and the resources and the renewal you need to go back into the challenge that you're facing, the dragon that you're slaying and win. And then, you know, let's come back and celebrate together. I love that. I love the analogy behind that. I love the uh, the, it, the metaphor around, you know, recharging on that journey. Because that's essentially what People use oasis, oases when they're going through the desert for like I refill on right. water, I take a moment to rest, I get back up, I go on my on my journey. And so people can find that at oasisofcourage.com. Uh, they can they can uh, sign up to be coached by you. Uh, and then if they want to listen to you and, and the great guests you have on your show, it's the happy engineer. 
Happy engineer. Um, happy little trees. Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> Bob Ross, man. Why is that in my head? Uh, uh, I, I'm so excited about the happy engineer Bob Ross painting. I need, like, oh, I've got man. a blank spot on my wall over here that that is that now reserved for a Bob, Bob Ross impressionist painting right. of, uh, of a happy engineer. There's got to be. Somebody out there can do uh, it. Somebody can do it. Uh, any final words of wisdom before we go? <laughs> wow. Jerry, there's so many things that could be shared, but I will say this, maybe coming back to that isolation comment, the first person I called after I picked up that note from my you know, wife who I divorced, first person I called was my sister. And I mean, I remember just weeping, bawling my eyes out, telling my sister for the, the first time I told anybody that my marriage was on the rocks and it looks like it's ending. And while it was the most difficult phone call I ever made... It was the most important phone call I've ever made because in that moment, I went from keeping all of this to myself to saying, I do need help and I'm willing to let other people help me. And so I think if I was going to share anything with you know, the amazing listeners of Beyond the Rut, if you're in a rut, the first thing that I would challenge you to have the courage to do is pick up the phone and call your pastor, call your sister, call your brother, call your mom, call that person you trust the most and simply invite them into the journey with you and say, I'm struggling. This is what's going on. I don't know how. I don't know what. You don't even need to know what to say. Just break that ice of you being on your own in this trial and let others carry the burden with you because at the end of the day, it was one of my sister's greatest joys to be able to support me and love me in that time. Not joyful about the situation, but she had a chance now to love me, which she does, <laughs> and she could show it. And uh, it was a transformational thing for me. So that would be my final word. If you're in a rut, pick up the phone and call that person and just invite somebody on the journey with you. And I promise you'll be well on your way to take the next step after that. I love that. Zach, I'm glad you were able to be on the show with me. And uh, I look forward to staying in touch with you. Thanks, Jerry. And can't wait to read your book and the other amazing work you're doing with Beyond the Rut. It's tremendous. Thanks again. I had a wonderful time talking with Zach in that conversation. I hope you got a lot out of it as well. And if you want more information about Zach White, Oasis of Courage, and more, check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 376. You'll find links to that, uh, his resources, that is, related episodes, and so much more. Now, if you want to build a life worth living in your faith, your family, and career, I also invite you to go check out Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble and get a copy of my book, Beyond the Rut. Create a life worth living in your faith, family, and career. It'll walk you through how do you assess that you're stuck in a rut, understand where you want to go, and then take action to get there. Very practical steps and also helps you evaluate your life in the five Fs, your faith, your family, your fitness, your finances, and your future possibilities. So get a copy at Amazon or on Barnes & Noble. Now, I'm glad you joined me for this episode, and I look forward to joining with you again on the next one. But until then, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Capshow is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Capshowian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial 
with the Cap Show team today and join me inside that community.